0: Mr Hitchcock, what is your definition of happiness? A clear horizon. Nothing to worry about on your plate. Only things that are creative and not destructive. And that's within yourself. Within me, Uh, I can't bear quarrelling, I can't bear feelings between people, I think hatred is wasted energy. And it's all non-productive. I'm very sensitive, a sharp word said by, say, a person who has a temper, Uh, if they're close to me, uh, hurts me for days. I know we're only human, we do go in for these uh, various emotions, call them negative emotions, but when all these are removed and you can look forward and the road is clear ahead and now you're going to create something, I think that's as happy as I would ever want to be. This... This... Art House Radio. <laughs> Live from Detroit. Welcome to... Art House
1: Welcome, my beautiful arthouse radio lovers. I am back. It was a nice little break. Did you uh, did you enjoy your time away from me? Are you excited to see me again? I watched Ex Machina, by the way, the other night. Holy fuck. I I've seen it sorry, I meant to say I watched it for a second time. Amazing. Even better the second time. It's amazing. That's what's gonna happen. Have you seen it? Holy fuck. I mean, this is we're coming up on Halloween in like four days. And I don't know if there's anything scarier. That's exact. I could see that going down. Where you have an AI walking out of a facility that was supposed to be in lockdown. And it manipulated the humans inside to get out the front door disguised as a human. Game over. Game over. All right. This is episode 133. (laughs) Speaking of game over, that was good old Alfred Hitchcock. Alfie, as I like to call him on happiness creating is happiness what is happiness i believe they said at the beginning he said when you have no worries on your plate and you've got something to create on your mind that's what it is that's that's the whole thing isn't that what you do isn't that what makes you happy when you have a project that you're looking forward to it makes you get through all the stuff you don't want to get through to go to your job so you can get home and work on that project to go to dinner with those people that you maybe don't really like all that much, but you do it so you can come home later and work on that project. Biking home today, I didn't really want to bike home today. I wish I had a car in some ways. Oh, my God, don't tell my Portland friends that I want a car. Please don't. Don't tell Spike from Portlandia that I want to get a car. Um, I I was biking by through Highland Park here in Detroit, and uh, I saw this empty building and had like these boards up. And instantly I got this idea for a project. I'm not going to tell you what it is because I don't want anybody to steal it. But it's pretty interesting. Maybe I'll do something with it in the next uh, couple of months. And then I'll tell you, hey, remember that podcast episode, episode 133, where I was talking about how I got that idea riding my bike when I didn't want to do it? That's what it is. You go you go outside of your normal routine and you you have these interactions. And then all of a sudden you interact with... The right thing in the universe makes you see something that you didn't see before. And before you know it, you've got an idea. That's all I am. I'm a man with an idea. Might not be a good one. Might be a bad one. But I've got one. Will you join me? (laughs) Oh, Worst cult leader ever. The worst cult leader for 2017 is Art House Radio's Troy Ramos. He actually wants people to follow him through his artistic trials and tribulations with no dollars in hand and a dream in his heart. Alan Watts. Oh, wait. Before we go to Alan Watts, can I just tell you? Happy Halloween. Ooh, let's join in. Okay. So I'll make a ghost noise and you make another noise like a werewolf or whatever. What's your What's your forte? Great. Let's do that. All right. Ready? Let's do it for like five seconds. Uh, coincidentally, coincidentally, that's also how I climax. Okay. Speaking of Halloween, I saw some great Halloween movies. I'm just going to tell you, The Hunger from like 1979 with David Bowie, Susan Sarandon, and Catherine Deneuve de la France. Holy fuck, that's a great movie. Great movie. As if the death of David Bowie wasn't sad enough. As if his music wasn't enough. Now we have to deal with the fact that the man who fell to earth and the hunger are putting this guy on the film map. I don't know if there are more. Probably. Well, Labyrinth. Jesus. What couldn't this guy do? Why don't we elect this guy president? Well, he, he was, wasn't born here, I guess. So. Well, we should make him the president of Detroit because then he probably would have turned things around quicker. I also saw Black Christmas from 1974 with Margot Kidder. Weird thing about Margot Kidder. She's kind of pretty sometimes, but she also looks like a crackhead. I'm not saying that I'm happy she got chopped up in that movie. I'm just saying, or that she was uh, the lead in Superman with Christopher Reeves. But, you know, I'm not sure what to think about her. She seems like an all-American girl. She reminds me of the woman, um, Danny's mom. In The Shining. What was her name? Oh, I can't remember. Yeah, it was great, though. Can I just say for one second that I love the 70s? They do everything. I don't know if it's the nostalgia for the 70s or if it's that the movies are actually good. But it's like each decade, they have their own... All the movies sort of have their own look to them. The cinematography, the flow of them. You, and then you can bake in that nostalgia in what you're seeing. The fondness for like cars that actually worked. <laughs> yeah, they didn't get good gas mileage, but they were like made out of real materials. They, they looked interesting. People still talked to each other. And there wasn't such a heavy emphasis until you hit like Star Wars. Maybe there wasn't a heavy emphasis on CGI, which I love. And in Black Christmas, that's what you kind of get. You get this guy who's this crazy motherfucker who's calling, um, this house and threatening the girls and, and whatever, and it's like a schizophrenic person. It's like who's doing like a play on the phone. If you haven't seen it, you should see it. And it's so scary to think that you know you know somebody could be on your phone now. You 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 know you know where it's coming from. You can block it, whatever. You couldn't do that back then, and so to hear that scary voice. It was chilling. I was, I was actually like holding myself tight. <laughs> Comforting myself as I watched this horror unfold in front of me. <coughs> Excuse me. So yeah, it's great. Um, I don't know what else to say about it, except um, I do have a theory if you'd like to hear it. I think it was that girl. Now I know that in the beginning, she got a phone call when other people were in the room But uh, she was the only one answering the phone. I'm pretty sure. I think it could have been her. I think it was her. The only one who survived, by the way. Anyway. Sorry, I've had a bit of a cough lately. At least I'm turning away from the microphone. Now, by the way, I'll just mention one more thing. I'm going to see the original Psycho tomorrow night here in Detroit. After I see the... The beautiful collection at the Library Street Gallery here, in, here in the Motor City. It's uh, they've got some works by Keith Haring and Paul Kramer going up at Paul Kramer on Instagram. Great stuff. Reminds me of Ellsworth Kelly a little bit, and uh, this the simple stuff. I love just these sh- simple shapes, maybe two, three colors at the most of just blocks of these colored shapes. Love it. It's great stuff. All right, let's get to the meat of this podcast. Alan Watts, an old, somewhat friend of the podcast, comes back now and again. Are you tired of playing the social game, friends? I love this um, video. There's so many clips of his to take offline, I could start a podcast on it, and I probably should. These are the kind of episodes that get the most downloads, for sure. I'm just taking a bit of, drinking a bit of tea. keep my throat all moist and radio ready. Is your life too strongly programmed? That's what Alan Watts wants to know. Are you attached to punctuality as a fetish? Is this the cause of many auto accidents or accidents in general? I think that it is a fetish. You're going to hear this in Alan Watts's speech. And I think it's great. Punctuality as a fetish. He's saying time, we're, we're, we've got a fetish for time. I don't. I hate it. I have to work today. Don't want to do it. Now, if they said, hey, man, could you just come in sometime and work as long as you want and then take off? Dig it, man. Groovy. I'm all down for that. But no, it's like a, it's like you're a prisoner and you have to go. Well, you don't have to, but then you're not going to be able to pay your rent. So you do it. That's the game. But it doesn't matter. Because even in Michigan, let's just say, When there's six inches of snow on the ground, your boss might handle like you saying, well, you're a little bit late, I guess, but you got to leave early. So you've got the highways packed of people who are risking their lives to go to some place they don't actually want to be or to go to uh, an educational institution that's overcharging them uh, to be in a classroom that they're really not paying attention. They just want that final piece of paper that shows that they went there. And we spend a lot of time trying to figure to get our lives to fit these roles that we have uh, that they could never possibly fit. Helen Watts says, so we're hard on ourselves we 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 have this idea that we we enter into this social game where we we and once we do that, all of a sudden we set ourselves up to criticism to where we can make mistakes. We make mistakes that's what we do we're human, but why why not? buy into the Alan Watts theory of life that says you can't make a mistake. There's no wrong answer. He also talks about Zen training and how um, it tries to get rid of those images of us trying to get our lives to fit these images of what we think it should be, um, even though they could never possibly live up to those expectations, and that the master of Zen tries to show up in every situation and say to you or to whoever else that you can't make a mistake. You should never possibly try to make yourself fit something that's not you. Just be yourself. I know this is a risky thing to say, but I'm going to say it. You've probably got to go to work today or tomorrow. If you don't want to do that. I would never, I almost said don't go. But you know what? I'm not going to say that. That's your journey. You have to figure that out. I also sort of meant it like half jokingly. But I think this is something that we have to think about. And I think the best thing to come out of the next eight minutes, when you hear this clip, it's about an eight-minute clip, the best thing you can hear is that we are attached to punctuality as a fetish. We don't know what this is, and we're operating like we do. Or we're at least operating in a way that we think is the best thing that we can come up with, but yet we never try to pursue anything else. Let's get rid of time. I'm just going to say it. If you travel back in time, the first thing that you have to think about, as Eckhart Tolle said, you're not traveling back in time because you'll end up in the present. You're in the now. You're not in the past. You're in the now. Same thing if you go to the future. You're not traveling forward. You're traveling to the now. You're in the now, and you're going to go to the now. So there is no past or future. You're only going to find the present, which means... That there might as well not be a linear scale. This idea that we have that it goes from like 1906, 1907, 1908, and 1909, and 1910. No, it doesn't exist. It's all the nows. It's a collection of nows. So what's the point of thinking of time at all? We pretend like Mondays have to come every week and Januarys have to come every year. No, they don't. Who cares? Drop it. That's what I would do if I were president. That's what I should tweet at this guy. Hey, let's just drop Mondays. And He'd be like, "It's a good idea. We should drop Mondays." He doesn't want to do Mondays, everybody. That sounded a little more like, "Hey, it's just a kid from, whatever Bill Murray's character is." He's got about three hundred fifty yards. He's going to try to make it in the hole. That's not, I, I think I can. I can. If I knew some lines, it might go over well. But it wasn't a wasn't a great impression. But anyway, you see my point. <coughs> let's get rid of time, because it's not helping us. It's only furthering our attached nature to punctuality, to our, to our fetish towards punctuality. Let's listen to Alan Watts and I will see you next week.
2: occasionally happens on the street, when two people are walking down the sidewalk straight at each other, and they both decide to move to the right together, then to the left together, and they somehow get stuck and they can't pass each other. Zen teachers will pull just exactly that sort of stunt when going down a path and meet one of their students to see if they can get him in a tangle and can he escape from it. And you will find in everyday life that there is a very clear distinction between people who always seem to be uh, self-possessed and people who are dithering and nervous and don't quite know how to react in any given situation always getting embarrassed because they have their life too strongly programmed. You said, I mean, this is a common marriage argument. You said you would do such and such a thing at such and such a time. And now you've changed your plans. Not that they really, the change of plans really caused any inconvenience, but just the feeling that when you say you will do something at a certain time, you ought to do it at that time, come hell or high water. Well, that's being very unadaptable. That's being a stone kind of sticky uh, thing. If it, after all, doesn't matter when we do it, and uh, somebody is offended because the time has been changed, that's simply because they are attached to punctuality as a fetish. And this is one of the great problems. This is causes many automobile accidents. Men rushing home to be on time for dinner. When they stayed late, either working, or they had to stop for a drink at some bar, or uh, when the girl feels that she has to, if she has a fussy husband, and she feels she has to have the dinner ready at exactly a certain moment, she ruins the cooking. You'd rather have a faithful wife and a bad cook I hope I'm not treading on any toes. (laughs) So you see, we spend an awful lot of energy trying to make our lives fit images of what life is or should be which they could never possibly fit. So Zen practice is in getting rid of these images. But it's it's so explosive socially to do that, and it so worries people. They get vertigo, they get dizzy, they don't know which end is up. There was a very uh, uh, interesting dinner party once where a Zen master was present, and there was a geisha girl who uh, served so beautifully and had such style that he suspected she must have some Zen training. And after a while, he, when she paused to fill his sake cup, he bowed to her and said, I'd like to give you a present. And she said, I would be most honored. And he took the iron chopsticks that are used for the hibachi, the charcoal brazier, moving the charcoal around. He picked up a piece of red-hot charcoal and gave it to her. Well, she instantly, she had very long sleeves on her kimono. She whirled the sleeves around her hands and took the hot charcoal, withdrew to the kitchen, dumped it, and changed her kimono because it was burnt through. Then she came back into the room, and after a suitable interval, she stopped before the Zen master and bowed to him and said, "Uh, I would like to give you, sir, a present. (laughs) He said... uh, (laughs) I would be very much honored. Of course, he was wearing a kimono or something like this. And uh, so she picked up a piece of coal and offered it to him. He immediately produced a cigarette and said, thank you, that's just what I needed. (laughs) 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 Now you know in the same way that we have this in our culture certain people who are comedians who know how to make jokes and gags in a completely unprepared situation face them with anything and uh, they somehow come through so that is exactly the same thing in a special domain as zen Only a master of Zen does this in every life situation. But the important thing is to be able to do this. This is the secret. You must remember you can't make a mistake. Now, that's a very difficult thing to do, because from childhood up, we have had to conform to a certain social game. And if you're going to conform to this game, you can make mistakes or not make mistakes. And so, this thing has gone into us all the time. You must do the right thing. There's certain conduct appropriate here, there's certain conduct appropriate there. And that sticks in us and gives us a double self all our lives long because we never grow up. Now I only say if that game begins to bore you and it begins to trouble you and give you ulcers and uh, all kinds of things, then you raise the problem of getting out of it. And therefore you start to become interested in things like Zen. That is simply a symptom of your growing in a certain direction. Where you are tired of playing a certain kind of game, you are as naturally flowing in another direction as if a tree were putting out a new branch. So because you say, oh well, we people are interested in higher things, you see that depends still on the differentiation of rank between the superior and the inferior people. But when you begin to see through that, and grow out of that, you don't think any more of this superior and inferior classification. You don't think we are spiritual people who attend to higher things as distinct from these morons who are only interested in beer and television. (laughs) This is simply our particular form of life. Like there are crabs, and there are spiders, and there are sharks, and there are sparrows, and so on. But remember, in the process of growth, the oak is not better than the acorn. Because what does it do? It produces acorns. Or you could say, just like I sometimes love to say, that a chicken is one egg's way of becoming others. (laughs) so an oak is an acorn's way of becoming other acorns where is the point of superiority the first verse of that poem i just quoted first verse is in the landscape of spring there is nothing superior and nothing inferior the flowering branches are naturally some short some long Thank mm-hmm. you.